All right. Um, let's take a recap. Let's take a recap of 2020. Well, I talk about combat sports a lot, but as you all know, I have to take a better look at the other sports, um, boxing especially, maybe, you know, kickboxing and submission grappling. So I'm focusing more towards the UFC, MMA in particular, the UFC, and it's been a, a heck of a year. Khabib potentially retiring, Daniel Cormier retiring, freaking Yoel Romero leaving the UFC. We have Henry Cejudo taking out Dominic Cruz, beating him, being the first person to beat Dominic in a long time. And um, just some crazy things going on. Um, Sean O'Malley losing his zero, you know, losing finally against Marlon Vera. We have Izzy, Israel Adesanya, keeping his zero, remaining undefeated, um, beating Yoel, and decisively taking out Boachinha, Paulo Costa, uh, taking him out very methodically, very precisely. Some very memorable moments, memorable fights, some very satisfying wins. We saw how we cringed at how Aldo lost against Piotr Jan and how happy we were when Jose Aldo finally snapped the losing streak and won against Marlon Vera. Just an exciting, exciting fight. An absolute, um, an absolutely wonderful year for fight sports, even though I'm sure like the rest of the fans we can't wait until you can fill up a stadium full capacity again in the coming year. We also had the return of McGregor early on, earlier this year, and we're going to see him again next year. Um, before we go to the end of the year awards, let's head over to let's head over to the UFC fight night. Thompson versus Neil. We're gonna discuss, as always, the main card and the co-main. Let's start with co-main, which is Cheeto Vera versus Jose Aldo. Jose on a three-fight losing streak, and uh, Vera fresh off his TKO win over Sean O'Malley, basically derailed the hype train. Um, let's start with yeah, Vera and Aldo was was an interesting fight. It was it was pretty even. It, it was very clear that perhaps. Aldo is not the same Aldo as, you know, he was when he was in the WEC or when he had that win streak. Um, I think the loss with Connor may have had something to do with his confidence. And, you know, this losing streak he's been on, it's also because he's had some very tough opponents. Um, but this win shows that regardless of how you know, physically, say maybe Vera is on the come up and Aldo is sort of going down. We see how experience and technique reigns. Um, Aldo's combinations hits the body. That 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 final, you know, his his ability to do what he needed to do, take him to the ground, get the win on points at third round. 
it showed that veteran mentality that Aldo has and that his you know he is possibly the greatest featherweight of all time in spite of his loss um, he has that experience on the highest level for, for so many years undefeated he has that in him yes he he'd taken some bad punishment along the way but I don't you know he hasn't lost it he has it and it's such a wonderful fight to show it because you you root for Aldo regardless that's just such an amazing it's such an amazing thing how the community works but it's just happy that Aldo's you know getting the respect and love he deserves because to a lot of casuals they would only know him from the 13 seconds it took Connor to knock him out but there's so much more to that than um, than than that there's so much more to Jose Aldo than that and as you're moving forward um, I'd like to see him probably fight TJ Dillashaw when, when, when TJ comes back We'll see how that plays out. Next, we have the main card. Wonder Boy versus Jeff Neal. Also a decision win of 50-45 for Mr. Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson is, I think, currently one of my favorite active fighters ever um, in the UFC. I really like his karate style. The way he blitzes in and out, his footwork, the way he shifts and um, switches from orthodox to southpaw. Very clear that Jeff Neal couldn't get into his rhythm by the time you, by the time he could, at the very least, pin down where Thompson was going. He had already been hit once or twice, and Thompson would be long gone. The the only way to sort of get it right is to do the way Tyron Woodley did, which is either take him down or time, time Wonderboy. Sort of simultaneously hit him when he was hitting back. That's that's how it is, man. And some, you know, it looked, things were looking up for Jeff every time he could cut the cage and corner Wonderboy. But you don't get to do it a lot with Wonderboy. And it's not a guarantee that it'll work because if you get him in a pinch, Wonderboy isn't afraid to throw down. He can freaking throw down. He has power. He's just fought some really tough guys like Luke K. So don't think that he's lost his knockout power. And just because, you know, he got knocked out by Pettis, let's not undermine Thompson's chin. Thompson has an amazing chin and it's particularly remarkable when you think about the fact that he is 37, 38, he's gonna be 38. That's insane. It's also one of the nicest dudes in the division. The amount of respect he has, the amount of, of care he has um, for his opponents, the, the, the way he carries himself, it's very reminiscent of George St. Pierre. And that's also why I I think that Wonderboy is one of the you know most consummate martial artist. He sees martial arts personified. Very, very, very good. Very good and very 
He's a complete package. Very, very respectful, but he can kill you in the octagon. Absolutely, wonderfully dangerous. That is Wonder Boy. Now, nothing taken away from Jeff Neal. He just didn't have the game plan. I mean, to be fair, not a lot of people do have the game plan to deal with Wonder Boy. Question is, where is Wonder Boy going next? Um, it's very hard to pin down. Personally, I would lean towards having Wonder Boy. Hmm. I would lean towards having him fight the winner of Shimaev and Edwards. <coughs> Pardon me. The way I see the welterweight division. You know, he called out Masvidal, but Masvidal may have maybe going at a fight with Kobe. And let's not forget Burns. So the way I see it, it's going to be Burns versus Usman for the title. And then it's going to be Kobe versus Jorge for whoever, you know, for whoever is the title holder then. And um, the winner of the winner of Edwards and Jemayev will fight Wonder Boy. And then that will be third in line for the title. I think that's the way it goes. Um, I may be wrong, but I think that's the way it goes. Because um, Wonder Boy, if he gets a three-win streak, he totally deserves um, a title shot. And he's on a two-win streak against two strong, hyped-up up-and-comers. Um, they're, they're both studs, highly skilled, and everyone thought they were going to make carnage happen in the octagon. But Wonderboy is just that good. So he's old. He doesn't have a lot of years left in him, maybe. If I, if I were the UFC, then I'd, I'd give him one final push. Ever since he failed to take the title away from Tyron Woodley, I feel like the UFC hadn't pushed him enough. And that's unfortunate, because with his persona, which is probably not a, you know, not a character at all, I think he might have been, he may be really, really nice in real life too. He has such a likable persona. He is so marketable, likable. He's clean cut, he's nice, he's polite. He's a grown man, he doesn't, you know, indulge in the weird stuff. He's a great role model for kids. He actually does teach kids. Uh, he has a karate academy, and you know, he does karate, which is something that a lot of Americans would identify to more than MMA because of, you know, the 80s and the 90s and all the martial arts movies, the karate kid, all that. Karate is a, is a household name. He is such a marketable person, and I really am rooting for him. I want him to get that check. I want him to get those big money fights, and I want him to, to I want to see him get a title before it's all said and done. And it's, it's sad because it probably won't. Probably won't happen. Because it's a tough one, and the, the division currently is very, very heavily oriented towards wrestling. The elite striker in the in you know in the top five or ten, you'd probably see Mas Masvidal and, and Wonderboy and maybe Leon to a certain extent. I don't know, 
But Usman is an elite level wrestler. And with, with, with the wrestling, you, you see how it goes. You see how how Miles Vidal had difficulty, and as boring of a fight as it is, with the fight rules, then Usman won that fight fair and square. And it's, it's just amazing how Usman manages to control people. And Kobe, as good of a striker as he has with his cardio, is also originally a wrestler. So it's a very wrestling-heavy division where it is right now, and that could be troublesome for Wonderboy. But then again, he's fought a lot of high-level wrestlers and came out winning, so we don't know. It's just going to be a tough one. I don't see how Wonderboy is going to win, so we'll see. Now, let's have some end-of-the-year awards. If I get it wrong... Forgive me, argue against me, hit up my social media, hit up the podcast's Instagram. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the description of this podcast episode. Basically, we're gonna have a bunch we're gonna have fight of the year. Um by the way, these awards will be UFC only. I'm very sorry. Um to recap, I, I don't watch a lot of boxing this year and I haven't. I'll try to work on that in 2021 to further up the content of this podcast. But to give you the casual answer, because I am a combat sports casual, my favorite fight of the year, and probably the only one that I watched very seriously. Um, I mean, the, the best fight, I don't know what the best fight is, but the best performance that, that I think I really liked was Fury. Let's just say the best fight I like, because I, I don't watch a lot of fights. So Fury versus Wilder was my fight for 2020, and it was such an amazing start to the year. It's an amazing performance by Fury. I mean, I'll be taking a better look at fights this year. I'm aware of uh, Gervonta Davis's performance. I'm aware of Canelo just being Canelo, very recently destroying Calum Smith. Um, I am aware of some other names like, you know, Terrence Crawford and, you know, we have the, the celebrity sort of style, Ryan Garcia, we have Anthony Joshua. I'm going to pay better attention to boxing next year. You can quote me on that, but I guess that will be it. My awards will be focused on MMA, particularly UFC, and if you don't agree with my picks, again, you can sort of reach me out on Instagram at Nathan underscore Theo 4501 or the Casual Combat Pod, that's the Instagram, Casual Combat Pod, at Casual Combat Pod, that's the podcast's Instagram. So we're going to have Fight of the Year. KO of the year, submission of the year, male fighter of the year, and female fighter of the year. Um, my fight of the year pick will be... It's gonna be Whaley versus Chan. But a close second is Moreno 
versus Vigorido. And I know that the Hooker and Poirier is a good fight. One, I haven't watched it in full. Two, I I think from what I've what I've seen, what I've heard, it sort of they sort of slow down after a certain time. I can be wrong. I'm gonna have to rewatch it. But my, my fight of the year is probably Wiley Jung uh, versus Joan Legend Jacek with um, Figueredo and Moreno being the second. My knockout of the year is pretty mainstream. I think it's it's you know it's it's the most spectacular knockout of the year. It's the Joaquin Buckley fight. It's Joaquin Buckley. Buckley's knockout was insane. It garnered a lot of traffic. If I had to pick the second one, maybe for the magnitude, it's probably the Garbrandt KO or the Chimaev KO. But, you know, they're both just straight punches. There's something about just how awesome Buckley's kick was. And I I would go for Buckley's kick to be the KO of the year. Submission of the year is an interesting one. But from the smoothness and from what's at stake, I'm going to give another mainstream answer. It's not a prelim card, it's a main card. It's Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. The triangle that he did was masterful. And beyond that, it was fluid, it was quick, and it was technical. He, he sort of made a fake preparation for an arm triangle to get, that sh- to get a hand and shoulder out of the way. And then he got into position and he locked in the triangle choke and put Justin Gaethje to sleep. Habib is the lightweight best of all time for a for a good reason. And really just wonderful fighter with a great legacy behind him. 29-0, undefeated, multiple title defenses, uh, destroyed most of his opponents. And during his title reign... Um, during his title reign, he finished all of his opponents. He finished, um, he finished Connor. He finished Poirier. He finished Gaethje. I mean, look at that. Just look at that as a resume. The last three people he beat are all contenders. And um, it's actually kind of funny how the last person to go to the decision with him was Ali Kinta. Uh, like <laughs> that's just hilarious and funny. <clears throat> my fighter of the year I guess it's most people have narrowed it down to two people now and not only from the fact that they keep winning but from the fact that they they, they, they fought with great frequency because one is an up and coming fighter and one is fighting for the title I would have I would have gone for Figueredo at first but with the challenge Moreno presented, as far as uh, a squeaky clean record goes, Kevin Holland has a 5-0 record this year. Meanwhile, in that last bout, Figueredo has a majority draw. Even so, you know, to have four fights, three of them being for the title, four of them at the highest level, really, with Benavidez being a serious, serious contender, Kevin Holland, though, you know, he took out Buckley, he took out a bunch of people, but his his real test was against Souza. 
and it's not at the championship level yet. So, my fighter of the year pick is still Davis on Vigoredo, with Kevin Holland being a close second. <clears throat> Female fighter, I don't know enough. I know that Mackenzie Dern is pretty active, but again, her, her fights are not at the highest level quite yet. I'm just going to be extremely biased with my pick. The bullet herself, Valentina Shevchenko. I think that that's it, that those are my awards. I'm going to have to rewatch some fights. I might change my mind on what the fight of the year is, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right. That's the end of that discussion. We're going to go into our last little bit of discussion, which is a talk about martial arts and why I think um, what my favorite ones are, or what at least what I'm planning on actually studying, and how I grade them. So when you look at martial arts, they, sh- they shouldn't be classified very easily, but there is a distinction you can make, a division that most people agree on. Striking and grappling are two distinct things. In an actual fight, they get mixed up together, and MMA, which isn't exactly a a fight on the streets, it closely mirrors it. It shows just how, how mixable those things are. But, um... Let's, let's, let's break it down. I think that to pick a favorite martial art, one has, to, one has to sort of make the distinction between the striking, striking and the grappling, even though I will, at the end of the day, choose my pick. But let's divide it first. I'm going to start with striking. For both striking and grappling, the, the question on what makes it great um, in the context of fighting, okay, not not for aesthetics, because I know the art is in martial arts, but I'm talking about what I would take, how I would create them, and of course, how how they would be used in the way they're supposed to be used, which is the context of violence and defense against violence, okay, not from an aesthetics point of view, but for self-defense or offense if necessary in the art of hurt for striking it is very hard Let, let's look at two ways that that we can gauge them and it, it all goes down to one question is how closely does it mimic reality how realistic is it and a lot of what you hear is that it requires live resistance to, to make sure that it works. Now, I've, I've sort of broken it down to two things on how to gauge and grade these martial arts. So my two questions are, are two points of measurement are how many assumptions or how much assumptions do they take on what the opponent is doing. 
What assumptions are they taking? Most martial arts, of course, make the assumption that they're not armed. And that's the first assumption, and that's fair. But, and then it starts getting more complicated. Some martial arts then would assume that the opponent wouldn't take them down. The rules of the sport don't allow that. So a martial art like kickboxing, well, it's not a martial art. Let's say a martial art like, um, say a martial art like Taekwondo, say, doesn't have a comprehensive built-in library on takedown defense. I can be wrong, correct me, but as far as I could research, there isn't really uh, a thing about that. Or boxing, let's, let's just go with boxing. Boxing doesn't have takedown defense. But we can see a correlation here. The more assumptions we take about the opponent, as in they won't kick, or for example, they won't hit with closed hands, with closed fists, like how Pancras ruled it, you know, no closed fists to the head, then it's easier to practice. So the two things are, one, what assumptions do you take about your opponent? And two, how then can you practice these things in the training session, in the gym? Again, let me repeat. How do I gauge the martial arts? Again, the keyword is, you know, with, with live resistance and, and whether or not the techniques can be applied with live resistance. What does it mean? It means how much assumptions are you taking of your opponent? Do you assume that they'd be still? Do you assume that they'd be moving around? Do they assume that when you grab their wrist or when they grab your wrist, all they're going to do is grapple and not hit? The more assumptions you take, the further it is from a real altercation. But the more assumptions you take, oftentimes the more it can be rehearsed or trained. Because when you're training, you don't want to hurt the other person. That is why several arts have had to adapt and we have the development of training equipment. Pads, headgear, thicker gloves, shin guards, and things of the sort. Because that way, you can have a higher assumption of what the enemy can do. They can kick back, they can, t you know, they can check kicks, they can defend. But you can still keep the training intensity high. How realistic are the actions you are doing relatively to what another person would do in response? Now... I'm going to mention a few. I'm going to start telling the martial arts that I'm very interested in. For strike, sorry, sorry. For striking, I'm looking at Muay Thai. Because Muay Thai allows you to use, you know, eight limbs. Your fists, your 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 kicks, your your elbows and your knees. And Muay Thai has clinching. So there's a, there's a tad bit of grappling there that's involved. It, it means that Muay Thai takes very little assumption of what the enemy can do. 
with clinching even to a, to a certain extent you can say it's sort of helpful against grappling and, and maybe even takedowns. With, with Muay Thai you're, you're assuming that not only will the opponents stick to using their fists, they might kick, they might kick at your legs, they might kick at your body, they might go for your head, they might, they might elbow you, they might knee you. And Muay Thai is very complete in that sense. And, you know, kicks should never be underestimated. The Muay Thai roundhouse kick is amazing. The kick to the legs, absolutely dangerous. The second is boxing. And uh, Wait, wait, wait. I have it. A Muay Thai, you can, you can um, train rather intensely with equipment that's round. And with the heavy bag, you can train some techniques, elbows, knees, and, and, and all that. So you can have a high high mark on the realism part on on how little you're taking assumptions on what your opponent can do because you're assuming they can do a lot you're you're giving your opponent leeway to do a lot of things you're prepared for a lot of possibilities but it also allows and opens doors for intense training even though you're giving your opponents more liberty to hurt you you have the equipment and the disciplines to make sure you don't get hurt while you train and that you can train with a lot of resistance Second is boxing. Boxing takes a very bold assumption, of course, that the opponent wouldn't wouldn't kick, that the opponent wouldn't knee, that the opponent wouldn't elbow, that the opponent wouldn't shoot down for a takedown. But what it what it really helps with is, uh, to a certain extent, it takes a bold assumption, but real life supports such assumptions. You many times in, in moments of conflict are stuck in enclosed spaces. You don't really want to grapple because you don't know if the opponent has a knife or anything or they could reach in their pocket for stuff. But you also, perhaps in an enclosed space, can't kick. Your hands are your weapons. And boxing is probably the best martial art discipline when it comes to using your fists as weapons because that's the only weapons you can use. The rest of your body functions to assist these two cannons that you have. You, you need to have head movement, so it's a very important fundamental defense, your, your hand defense, and one of the most important things in martial arts, which is footwork, because it determines where you are and where your opponent will be relative to you. And in, you know, as far as training intensity go, you can go pretty intense with boxing with, with the equipment you have of course, you, you wouldn't want to go too hard, you can still cause damage, but the reason why boxing is so popular and so many people have boxing classes all over the world is because you can have a pretty intense boxing training session with the proper equipment and proper training. And you can actually have situations, you can spar and you can test yourself in situations that will closely, even though not exactly, mirror things if they were out there. That's why, you know, once taught the proper takedown defenses and the other basics and fundamentals, boxers can transition pretty well into MMA. Um, I'm just, you know, Stipe Miocic, I think, was, was a Golden Glove winner. Uh, Henry Cejudo was a Golden Glove winner. Once they get that boxing, boxing basics down, it's actually pretty amazing and pretty impressive. Third one is karate. And the only reason why I put karate under boxing is um, because, like a lot of traditional martial arts, 
Um, as far as what I've read, you don't really see a lot of it trained the modern way you would mixed martial arts. A lot of it is still very much bound, perhaps by kata, and the more strict aspect of it being a traditional martial art. You know, it, it takes it actually takes very little assumption of what the opponent might bring to the table. But at the same time, even with those assumptions gone, it's not you don't see a lot of it you don't see a lot of karate perhaps crossing into how people actually fight. You you can name a handful of, of really good karate fighters that have transitioned, but the way it's been taught, the way it's been trained, the way dojos have become commercialized perhaps, it is quite apparent that it is not as tough, rough, and realistic as it used to be perhaps in the older days. Uh, these are the things that I studied from a secondary source. I may be wrong, so feel free to correct me. But as far as I know, karate in itself ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just a lot of the, a lot of the academies that provide karate, perhaps some, not a lot, some, have been watered down, and you know perhaps the training method should switch over to one that values life resistance different styles you know the way the way a lot of traditional martial arts fail is the failure to recognize the presence of different styles and i believe modern karate should be more than welcome to try it out because they should have faith in their art we've seen how it works with wonder boy thompson leota machida uh, and all that. Now, we head over to the world of grappling. Why, again, why do I divide these two? Because they're very different. I would define striking as with speed causing impact from your body part to the opponent's body part to cause damage. That's what striking is. And I would say that striking is very good at doing damage. I would actually say striking is better if you're having multiple opponents, even though... I would remind you again, whatever the hell your fighting style is, stay away from multiple opponents. It's tough enough to, to go one-on-one. Grappling is different. Grappling doesn't strike. Grappling doesn't rely on impact. Grappling relies on using your energy to influence the momentum and the motion of your opponent. It's not about damage. It's about control. It's about manipulating your opponent the way you want them to, submitting them to your will. And we're going to use the same metrics. BJJ, what assumptions do they take about the opponent? Of course, BJJ is very bold. It doesn't have a lot of curriculum on stand-up fighting. Very focused on ground fighting. So I would say the big assumption is thinking that the opponent wouldn't, um, the opponent wouldn't try to strike first, or that the opponent striking wouldn't hinder you. So I guess BJJ practitioners need to know a, a good takedown and p 
pure BJJ, pure key BJJ, of course, um, take some assumption, take the assumption that people won't hit you while you're at the ground and you're trying to get control. It takes the assumption that um, if you're using gi, it takes the assumption that outfits are like that for some reason. And if you're using no gi, it takes even less assumption. I think the closest is probably MMA BJJ or Eddie Bravo's combat BJJ, which allows open hand strike while you're trying to grapple for control on the ground. But that's as far as the assumption goes because here's what BJJ is so good at. You can have an extremely high training intensity, the same way you do with most um, grappling arts. You can go full force, and because it's not an impact-based discipline, you won't you won't receive as much damage as you would if you were if you were to train a striking art with a partner full force. You might get injured from straining your muscles or from not stretching properly or or, or from from tearing your muscles or being in, put in uncomfortable positions and not tapping on time. But in theory, if, if you go full force, it's supposed to be fine. I like BJJ because it has the capacity to finish. So it doesn't, you know, it, it takes the assumption that the enemy would fight back until you knock them unconscious. Sorry. You choke them unconscious or you break their limbs. Wrestling, of course, freestyle, Greco-Roman. Uh, Sambo is a bonus, even though they do have submissions. But, you know, wrestling mostly deals with, you know, it assumes people won't hit, or at the very least, if they hit, they won't land it on you. And, it, you know, it assumes that people won't know how to t- have a good takedown defense. And, you know, realistically, people naturally would know better on how to block a punch, you know, put their hands up to their faces rather than they would the intricacies of sprawling and defending against a takedown. Your natural reflexes to that is probably to just headlock and other stupid stuff that's gonna get you. But again, the wrestling I, I, I like but I don't really like because of how because of how it doesn't put the finishing into aspect. Wrestling in its purest form is about pinning someone down and sometimes it's not enough to pin someone down. So it takes the assumption that once you pin someone, that they're done. That's the problem. It takes too big of an assumption. Judo, I think, could very well be the best grappling art. Um, the The only reason I would probably put it third is it, it has the most dangerous assumption, which is the assumption that the ground is padded. And it's bad because I think if you're really good at judo throws, it's beyond self-defense. It's beyond choking someone out or, you know, snapping their arms in an arm bar. If you're a very good judo fighter and you met someone who doesn't know better on the streets and you're defending yourself, you, you know, you can destroy someone worse than if you are a good striker. If you're an amazing puncher, you can one-shot KO someone, but they'd wake up. If you are an amazing like kicker, you can kick someone, have their, you know, and bruise their body or, or fuck up their liver, and they'd be down, but they wouldn't be in mortal danger. If, if you're a judo fighter and you throw someone on the concrete floor because you're used to throwing someone so intensely, you can kill someone. That might backfire against you. What I also don't really like about judo is it's sort of stuck in this limbo between striking and grappling. Because it's it's very clinch heavy, 
requires it requires clinched requires getting into the clinch like Muay Thai does um, in order to to do their throws but it takes the bold assumption that people won't do something offensive as far as punching and kicking and kneeing goes when when they're trying to get that clinch be that as it may we've seen some some great transitions from judo to MMA and once they're trained to sort of take those punches and withstand the interruption that might happen we see Ronda Rousey early on being a judo practitioner herself throwing everyone just flipping them here and there like pancake and judo actually has ground game nuaza um, I just don't think it's as trained research and, and as systematically developed as uh, BJJ even though every BJJ practitioner has to admit that you know the Gracies marketed it and perfected it, but it had always been there it had always existed a lot of techniques and a lot of chokes predate the Gracies and it all began with judo and probably if you trace it back it's jujitsu jiu- I don't know but BJJ again you know owes its roots to Japanese judo and judo is just uh, amazing again my problem with it probably is that you either hurt someone too bad um, and also in tr- as far as training intensity goes you can hurt yourself you know there's a lot of records on judo accidents because you're throwing each other so if you know how to fall that's good but y- everyone makes mistakes and you can really hurt someone if your sport relies on flipping and throwing them over So those are my, you know, top three Muay Thai, boxing, karate for striking, top three grappling, BJJ, wrestling, and judo. I'm going to be a bit biased, a bit fanboy, but from a casual combat fan perspective, it all comes down to what kind of fight you're getting into. I think if I'm given the time and, I, and I'm given like an MMA rules or like Vale Tudo rule, uh, no equipment, no glove, no nothing, uh, like minimum rules one-on-one fight I'd go with the BJJ because even though it doesn't teach you about standing the humans don't naturally punch I think we were naturally better at just going and bulldozing at someone and trying to get them to the ground and you know regardless of whether I get on top of him or, or under him with BJJ I'm safe both ways um, but if we're talking like a skill for, for for life, I don't know. I think I think I think the the mentality of BJJ would help against multiple opponents. But if you're if you're bringing the hypothetical to what if you had to defend yourself against multiple opponents, I would very much love a striking art. Moreover, a striking art that can help me maximize distance, and I'm gonna have to go with Muay Thai. So, my the martial art I'm planning to study is probably then Muay Thai. Um, I'm a bit chubby. I don't think I have the flexibility for BJJ quite yet. Um, I want to lose weight too, so the cardio is probably going to be awesome. Um, but again, I think that in a one-on-one situation, and if I have a limited time to train, I, I would go with the grappling art. Um, but I hope that breakdown was sort of useful. Um, honorable mention to, to some martial arts. Um, 
that I think deserves mentioning. I think Taekwondo is the source of some of the greatest kicks in, in modern martial arts. Silat uh, from Indonesia is making a rising. You, even one championship is going to make a division of it. And then Kung Fu, you know, if, if you practice it right, it's awesome. You know, the, the people that say Kung Fu doesn't work. Maybe it's, it's not supposed to be how you say it. it. It's not that Kung Fu doesn't work. It's just all, some practitioners that we see are overconfident in their skills and never put it to the test. But we all know that some, some great Kung Fu practitioners or at least fighters who, who take inspiration from Kung Fu or Wing Chun are going at it. My big question is Aikido. Aikido, my, my dad almost had me join it. I rejected it because I didn't want to have like after school stuff. But now I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. From a casual combat fan perspective, Aikido just doesn't make sense. Please, someone enlighten me if you are an Aikido practitioner. I just don't see how any of that works with resistance. It's different that with 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 most of these arts, even even Wing even Wing Chun with its sticky hands thing, which I think doesn't work against someone who knows how to jab, weave, and slip correctly and roll under the punches and hook the body and all that. Even that, to a certain extent, has more realism than. Some of the Aikido videos I've been watching just seems very ridiculous. That's not how locks work, and um, I think if you're already good at something, it can be a supplement. Because, I don't know, from a casual perspective, I'm really unimpressed with how Aikido has been. I think if we go back to that, to that two factors we talked about, Aikido assumes way too many from their opponents. If you see the the video on how the training partner grabs the wrist, it's just, it's, it's, it's not in motion, everything's very stationary and dry. You're taking a whole lot of assumptions and as far as training intensity goes, you can only train just these gentle soft movements and all you do is properly fall. It's, it's really quite interesting but it's also quite sad. Uh, I actually don't want it to be that way because I grew up with Steven Seagal movies. I really do hope it works. I'm just saying that from a casual, with the resources I have online, most of what I've seen I'm, I'm very much not impressed with. I believe that an amateur wrestler, an amateur boxer could take out a lifelong practitioner. But that's only what I see. So please, someone prove me wrong if you can. Because you should. Um, you know... Let's 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 hope for a, let's hope for a, an environment where each and every martial art can be appreciated and loved. It's just let's make sure there are, you know, let's make sure that when when you do have a martial art and people are paying to learn it, you're not taking people's money without getting them something worth their money. And I believe that that's very rude of me to say about Aikido, but I'm not saying it about Aikido. I'm saying it about the Aikido I've seen. On YouTube or on the on the pages I've seen, so so please, uh, someone enlighten me, because I personally don't see it being very realistic at all. I guess that's it. That's my rant for today. It's a bit of a long episode. I'm glad you're all sticking with me. Um, as a break for this year, we're gonna come back early next year for the McGregor fight. Um, 
the the Calvin Cater hallway fight. Lots of lots of fun events on UFC and One uh, FC and, and all of those fight events. Thank you all. My name is Nathan, and have a blessed Christmas and New Year. Peace out.